Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, hello, hello. Like they say, I'm Lana Reed, and back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. You know, here on Don't Box Me and I talk to a lot of people who have had a few bad patches in life but made personal decisions that that was not where they were going to allow their life to stay. My hope has always been that my listeners will walk away with an understanding of if this person did it, why can't I? My guest today is a living example of the Don't Box don't box me in message. Nazim Rashid went from a childhood of suicidal fantasies, from emotional neglect and emotional bullying from his own family members, which led to drug abuse in his adolescent years, eventually to drug dealing, to suicide, a, a suicide attempt, and to drug addiction and homelessness. His transformation allowed him to complete a 12-step program and eventually to becoming a conflict resolution mediator, mental health and substance abuse counselor, and much, much more. I thank Nazim in advance for taking the time to share with me today and extend a very big welcome his way. Nazim, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Welcome, and thank you for having me today. I'm looking forward <laughs> to a fantastic time. Awesome, awesome. You know, before we uh, logged on today, my producer, he, he uh, linked into you and he said, oh, he has a voice for radio and he is so, so true. You sound awesome on the radio. <laughs> Thank you very much. Awesome. So um, I like to uh, introduce my uh, guests to my audience and start off in the beginning. So if you don't mind, we're going to do that today and kind of start and build up and tell your story here. So I want to ask, uh, first of all, uh, where were you born at? Chicago, Illinois. Shy town, shy town. I've spent many, many uh, days in Shy town. Interesting city, city. A lot of culture. Um, I like to uh, call it a city of, you know, survival of the fittest. It's, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's very interesting city. Very, a lot of dynamics there. Um, so let's let's talk about growing up. Their childhood was a bit rough for you. Is an understatement, we should say. Yes, it was. Even though it's kind of uh, interesting. From the outside looking in, it looks like the perfect, I would call, leave the beaver family because from the outside looking in, we're all well-dressed. No one was arguing and no one was fussy and fighting. There was no profanity and no alcoholic abuse or anything. So for outside in, that was a perfect-looking family. Oh, my God. I, people would say, I wish we were like that family over there, you know? <laughs> you know, I think... Uh... Me growing up in mine, there, there's something in, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's for all, but for, for black culture, I remember my parents always telling me, you know, what, what goes in the house stays in the house, but when we're mm-hmm. outside, everything is supposed to be, you know, roses and tulips, and oh, we're just yeah. a wonderful, wonderful person. So I'm assuming that you kind of had the same philosophy instilled in, in you. So it was mom and dad there, and, and oh, uh, yeah, brothers they were, and sisters? They were, well, they were physically there. Yes, they were physically there. As a matter of fact, well, anytime the camera was out, we had to have a perfect pose. <laughs> lots of lots of family shots there. You have brothers and sisters. One one older brother, yes. One older brother, one older brother. So um, you guys had the perfect family on the outside. So um, and and I, I love that you're able to to laugh a little bit about it now. But what was oh, yeah. going on inside the house? Well, what happened? There was a lot of neglect. Uh, you know, after all, both parents came from the from the rural south of farmland, and and. Um, and it's only a couple of generations from slavery, so I did. They they didn't have any idea how to nurture children, how to how to really embrace the, the emotions of the child, and how to really be compassionate. All they knew was work, work, work. If you didn't do the right thing, then they they give you a you know they give it to you. You know you get you either to work or to be down. So I did that. They didn't know how to nurture, how to spend quality time because their parents didn't spend quality time with them. So they just figured. Why bother? Just make sure the kids work, and and that's it. You know, so mm-hmm. they didn't know how to do that. They didn't know how. Mm-hmm. Not not a uh, a lot of love, uh, embracement, and affection type of household. I'm getting the impression. No, they hadn't either. Now, of course, there was the outer affection. Of course, anytime family members would come over, oh, <laughs> just hugging the children and all that and so forth, and they would do it then for sure. Oh and wow! So so those kind of I'll call service hugs. Oh, there was plenty of those things. <laughs> oh, good for show. We're good for show. Let's put on a show for, for the, the audience there, for people coming by. Wow. Wow. So what did mom and dad uh, do for a living, if I can ask? Well, mother, she was a stay-at-home wife. You know, just like leave it be her mom. She was a stay-at-home wife. She dressed well every day. And the father was a workaholic. 
so mm-hmm. he wasn't really there. Uh, he was there for dinner every day, but then he had real estate property, so he would come in, eat, and go out again. So he he he, he uh, didn't spend much time at home, and when he was there, he was sleeping. Uh, so and uh, and when um, when uh, one occasion when my brother was uh, acting out, and, and uh, there was a counseling session set up, and the counselor asked. Uh, um, uh, my father, well, uh, do you participate in anything at home? He says, that's my wife's job. She's, she's in charge of all that. Only thing I do is make money, and that's all I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Real, real old-school traditional philosophy. You know, stay-at-home mom. The dad goes out and earns the uh, the income there. Uh, and, and, and I guess a lot of men back in the day felt that that was all they had to do. That was their full responsibility. But we now know that, you know, both parents pay such a, a – important role in the health the emotional health of a child as they're oh, yeah. coming up now oh, yeah. so you use so we, we've got sort of a detachment here we, we can sense that but um like i said in the intro you at a young age you had some some thoughts of suicide oh, and yeah. you said there was some emotional bullying um how, how did that come about or or, or what well, spurred that on well my brother he was um he was four years older and guess he figured he had the whole turf to himself uh, and here i come along and he didn't want anybody to be there and get all the attention and stuff for him. And so he despised me coming even when I was uh, in the womb. He, my, my mother told me these stories many times. How he would tell her that he did not want anybody else to come in. He wanted to have the whole house to himself. He did not <laughs> want the baby. He says, no, 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 don't bring him here. He would say these things. And as we know, you know, nowadays, you know, even though the baby is still in development in the womb, the baby hears everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, so I'm 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 in all this uh, MBI fluid and having a good time in there, but I'm hearing all this negative vibrations out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and so when I when I did come forth into the world, and uh, you know, he just say he changed up a little bit. But then he decided he was going to be master of this little bit of slave coming out. He's going to be a master. He's going to tell his little thing what to do and how to do it, and be in total control of this little thing that came into the world. So. He just he would just uh, have different messages. He would give me, um, call me different names, belittle me, and so forth, and then just uh, take over. If I'm looking at TV, he would just change the channel. He would he would just do things like that, and end up. And uh, since I had no one nurturing me in the first place, father wasn't there. Mother didn't know how to do it. She didn't spend any time doing it, or even did, she probably didn't have any interest in doing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. no kind of support or backup from anybody. I was here to see this. This little giant, because I was a little tiny thing, mm-hmm. uh, this little person, this person that just telling me what to do all the time, and um, and and give me no kind of support, nothing uh, to encourage me to do anything. So I'm just kind of left there with this kind of uh, beratement, and so naturally, as a little child, I got depressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so, you know, I said, "Why am I here?" I even asked my mother several times, "Why did you have me?" I said that. Wow. Wow. Now let me, me let me uh, ask you this because I'm an only child, so some of the dynamics of having siblings are foreign to me. But you know, I've heard many, many times that you know, growing up in a house with siblings, there is a lot of like jibbing and and poking fun at or whatever. So, what your brother did was out of the norm. The way he he bullied you. Mm-hmm. I would say, well, only because there was no balance. Now, say for instance, if there was a, a a father, my father was involved, and he was a. Uh, he would the balance there. He would take me to the park. He would talk to me. He would give me some kind of support, or a mother would. If there was some balance in there, mm-hmm. there might be just some lightweight teasing. And I would just, I would, I would learn how to uh, come back with, you okay. know, with some other guys. Okay. But there was, there was no balance. There was nothing else to offset the negativity he was actually, you know, uh, you know, putting on me. So therefore, uh, 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 it was nothing. And so I said, "Why am I here?" And I've asked my mother that. Why? Are you? And uh, and uh, and and so never any answer there because. Every time I would speak, then it was considered a punchline. Everybody would just laugh, and, mm. and uh, you know. So I was like the little comedian in the house. And after a while, I started saying one lines on purpose. I said, "Well, I got some kind of tension with the laughs. So I'll just say a few things here, you know." Mm-hmm. Become and, the house uh, comic, right? Yeah, yeah. I would just say some things and all that. But idea that even now, when I would uh, talk to my mother, I would say, "You know, uh, wouldn't you be a little concerned when a child tells you certain things like?" Why did you have me here? Uh, things like that, and and uh, uh, like saving my father wanted me to, you know, get some slippers for him when I was out. I think my mother said I was like four years old. Uh, uh, they were like, you know, right across the room, and I don't want to do it. 
and uh, mm. and I, I said, no, I don't want to do it. And and and, um, and she didn't understand why. Of course, she was about to get the belt out and beat me down behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and she didn't understand why. Well, I, I, one thing about me, I was very observant. I saw mm-hmm. my father was never there, never connected to anybody at all, all there. So in my mind, my inner child was saying, this man has nerve. You know, he never spends any time. But when he is there, he wants to order some order me around to do things. You know, mm, gotcha. He has gotcha. done things for me here. You know, and so so I said that, and um, and uh, even to this day, my mother doesn't understand that. And uh, so I was very observant. So I really disconnected from him long long ago. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm so, so so when when your brother was was doing the the little jabs and the bullying and all of that stuff, and I'm I'm hearing that you would go to your mom. And you know, say some stuff. There was no like mediation between. Or she just let let it go, or I mean, oh, was your... she, she, would, she would laugh. She, she got entertained with my brother teasing me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. She was ah, oh, you just laugh and and uh, and uh, you know and uh, yeah. So she got entertained. So so basically, I saw her be on his side. Oh, I see. I see. You know, and a lot, a lot of different things. And uh, and I saw like no support anywhere. And uh, I said, "Man, goodness!" And uh, you know, there's several instances. Like uh, one time during the snow of Chicago, you know how that can be, you know, pretty rough. Yes, so I was yes. Sleep. We had bunk beds. He took me out of my sleep and carried me. We were on the second floor. Carried me downstairs and just threw me over the balancer into the snow. Just, just, just threw me over the edge. Wow. I'm laying in like six feet of snow, and I'm a little kid. I'm just, I'm just like you know, being submerged in water. I'm just saying, where, what's going on here? I'm trying to climb yes. out of the streets and stuff in my pajamas, and uh, you know, get upstairs. I'm just crying, and then so forth. He's laughing. I get upstairs. My mother's cracking up. I mean, she said, oh, "Look at you! Ah, she's crapping up." I said, "Okay, no support again." Wow. Wow, you know, that that's some uh, serious emotional messages to send to to a young person there. Oh, oh sure it was, sure it was. So you know, you you mentioned that you were asking, you know, your mother and yourself, you know, why am I here? Why am I, why am I here? Um, so at a young age, you were kind of thinking about, let me just end all of this. Oh sure, matter of fact, we had a, on on the second store, we had a flat roof, and my brother and I would every so often go up there just to look around. It was a kind of look see from see the view from up there, but when he was looking at the trees and sky and the clouds, I was looking down below at the sidewalk. I said, you know, I said, when I jump off here, I got to make sure I go, go right to the sidewalk. There'd be no chance mm. of recovery. How old you were know? you at this time? Oh, I was like eight years old then. Oh, wow. And uh, I said, I'm going to go right there because there's some trees around. I said, I don't want to break the fall. I'm gonna, I got to go right there where the sidewalk was. So there's no chance of recovery at all, and I'll be done with this whole life, thing called life. So, you know, as a kid, and that, that's awful. You know, as, a, as an eight years old, you're supposed to have all this vibrant fun. energy, fun, yes. and playing all the time, rubber down the street. And I was thinking about taking myself out. Mm-mm-mm. You see, so that was pretty awful at that age. Yeah, you're supposed to be thinking about what we're getting for Christmas, right. you know, pulling a little girl's hair at school, and, you know, <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. And, and you're up there like, if I, I can't land on this tree, I mean, that's just, that is yeah. just such a big thing for a little person to carry. That is, oh, that is sure. a lot of weight, a lot of weight. Sure. So we're glad that, uh, you didn't, uh, follow through uh, but what 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 do you think was the uh the thing that made you not do it well i was you know uh, uh, uh nerve i guess you know i didn't want to hurt myself I was to <laughs> myself there's some reality here like okay you know and so i was still trying i i even, I even counted the, the steps from the front of the house on the roof front of the house to the back where i would count the main main times i'll have to run and uh and and jump off you know so i would i would just do like kind of like when you are jumping hurdles you know you mm-hmm. pace yourself and i even did that so that, you know well i got you know 20 steps and now i'm over you know kind of thing and i went that far even but i said you know i, you know, I chickened out you know i didn't have the nerve to do it well thank and goodness so. you did thank goodness you did we're going to take a quick commercial break and we're going to talk more right after this Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. 
today is Nazim Rashid. He's a life coach and author of the book Reconnected, How to Be a Mentor to Your Child Self. And before the break, we were talking about uh, some of his childhood and his older brother whose uh, sibling teasing went a little bit above and beyond uh, teasing. Now, you, you were talking about having suicidal thoughts and all that stuff. I, I, I want to know, because you, you made it clear that your mother kind of made joking fun of it all. Um, was there anybody, school teacher, cousin, or anybody around at that time that was in your corner that you could go talk to, or were you just kind of walking through all of this by yourself? You definitely think about it, you're right, by myself. There are, there are a lot of uh, you know, family members. Had, you know, there was a large family, outside family, a lot of cousins, and, and even neighbors. We had, uh, you know, those during the days I call it a family culture where, where he had, uh, you know, adults in the community that, that knew you and, um, and looked out and make sure that the things didn't happen to you. And also they would, they would get on you in case you did something in their area. Like, well, you know, uh, in, in back in those days, walking on someone's grass like capital punishment. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, I, you had to get it from that neighbor, and then when you got home, you had to get it from your parents, yeah, too. Yeah, so I was, I, was, I, was, I was cutting across the neighbor's grass trying to get across the street. And so she was out there watering, so she sprayed me with the hose, you know, I got <laughs> sprayed on, and, and so I'm going, you know, driven wet back to the house. By the time I got to the house, the neighbor already called my mother and told me yes. about it. And then she got me for it, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, so, the times have definitely changed. You know, all that, a, all that, so forth. Oh. oh, my God. But, but still having all this, all this uh, adult input or influence, you would think that one of them would have, Taking me aside and kind of you know nurture me or mentor me or something you know you would think but mm-hmm. no they didn't do it even school teachers they just uh, I was just another student in the class so mm-hmm. no I would I would say zero zero wow wow you know I mean and and that's usually like the little ray of sunshine that somebody has in their life there there's this one person whether or not it's it's the garbage man who picks up the trash has that right. five second conversation you know there's somebody that says. Right. This person, I see the hurt, I see the pain. Let me just spend two seconds, a little bit longer, with this person mm-hmm. to tell them that it's going to be okay. But for you to not have anybody while you're going through that, um, you know, you can you can see why some of the turns that uh, were taken in your life actually, you know, did happen. And right. and, and that kind of brings me to the next one. You, you mentioned. Um, when you, you emailed me, you mentioned that you had uh, started using drugs as an adolescent. Um, so I want to know. What age was that? How did that? How did that even come to be? I mean, what? How did your introduction to drugs come about? Well, let's see, I was a teenager. I can't, I can't recall offhand, but uh, you know, adolescence is probably the worst period of anyone's life, and you have all kinds of influences. And and uh, um, I can't remember who introduced me to it at first, but but what I do remember is that I didn't hesitate because I wanted to feel good. Yes. You know, I wanted to feel good here. I said, well, sure, I'll take that. Sure, I'll drink that. Let's say. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I did, and, and, um, and, uh, I did feel good. It was, I said, oh, this is, I've been looking for this feeling all my life. I'm feeling good. I'm smiling now. This is fantastic. And, and mm-hmm. it's not all because someone's looking. I can actually smile to myself now. I'm high, <laughs> you know, but I said, oh. And so I, I realized that feeling, and, uh, and so I did more of it. And, and, uh, so we just did that. And, uh, it was, uh, at the time, I was, I said, okay, I'm okay now. You know, I finally said, now I'm okay, even though I'm liberated. <laughs> now I'm feeling, I'm feeling okay. And then what happened consequently, I was more rebellious at home behind that also. We were more rebellious. Yes. And, uh, and a lot of problems with my, uh, my mother at the time. And, and, uh, it just, just, you know, got to a real, real awful point between me and her. And then, cause I was older now than I, you know, during the seventies, I got the big afro. She couldn't stand any of those kind of things and, <laughs> and, uh, wearing just different kind of clothes and, and, uh, and, uh, it was really something. And I was a musician. And I started, you know, I started having a few dollars in my pocket, had a few girls here and there and nobody could tell me anything. And, uh huh. Your stuff didn't stink, huh? Hey, yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, I, I, was, I was a player, you know, so I was out there. And more rebellious home. And nothing to even clothes. You know, one thing, you know, she micromanaged my life. Even as a kid, I, I couldn't even decide what socks to put on. Mm. You know, I, I wouldn't even allow that flexibility. You know, put these on, put that on, put that on, put this up, put that up. And, uh, you know, if I said, how about can we yell, no, you wear green today. I said, mm. okay. You know, so there's no choice of Amy in my life. And, and so when I start making a few dollars as a musician, I bought my own clothes. And that is wrecked her. She couldn't stand that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it just got, it got really really bad and and uh, and uh, so after a while now here's here's, a, here's here's 
my breaking point is that uh, I started uh, I started selling too. I said, well, I, I'm about to make a few more dollars if I sold some of this. So I so I did. But what happened is that uh, during the well during one period of time, I can't remember when exactly right now. There was a a big federal drug bust, and um, and I had plenty of inventory because I always kept things around. <laughs> what happened is that I it got dried up, and and I started having some withdrawals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't do any hardcore. Well, I did a few things, acid, a few things here and there. But uh, but what I was doing wasn't wasn't I, it was no heroin. I didn't like needles, and I didn't think I was doing any hardcore. And and but I started having these physical withdrawal symptoms. I was doing some some light shaking, and I was mm-hmm. a little nervous. And then then I got mad with myself. This is my breaking point because as a child, my life was micromanaged. It was controlled entirely. Now with this addiction, which I didn't want you want to admit, that addiction was controlling me. I said to myself, No, I'm not having it. Mm-hmm. Nothing will control me. I said, I'm going to a twelve step program, I'm getting this, this out of my system, I'm detoxing. Nothing is going to control me ever again. Wow! Awesome. Did, how oh, how were you at that time? Well, I must have been. See, I did a, I did a couple of road tours. I must be about about twenty one, twenty two, about twenty two okay. probably. Okay. Yeah, yeah, maybe around that age. And I just and think about it, you know, uh, I never recommend that to anybody going through a, a recovery program by themselves because you, you can you can relapse and and make all kinds of excuses for using it again. <laughs> yeah. But, but me, I was motivated because I did not want anything to control me. So I said, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna get through it by myself. I'm, I'm writing the letters of apology. I'm detoxing. I'm trying to turn my life around. I'm doing whatever I could to make sure I was in total control instead of this substance. You know, so I did. Awesome. So, 21, 22 years old, um, you went into recovery, and um, first time was a charm. No relapses or anything. No. Well, the first year is always bad. I, I relapsed the first year with too many influences. First year, you know, and uh, it, that's amazing. You know, people. You know, you, you you're surprised. Well, I was surprised that folks that thought of my friends are really friends of my problem. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and uh, they kept on, and uh, they kept on, kept on, and so I, you know, I I, I fell victim. It only happened once, though. I think once, maybe twice, once or twice, maybe that one year. But then I was so determined to do this, I just changed up. I said, okay, you can't call me. Why not call? You're off my list. That's I, right. I, I that's cut right. off those friends. Or call. I, I said, that's I'm done with you. Yeah, and you know, and that's, that's one of the things you hear about recovery all the time is yeah. you really have to get your new set of friends, sometimes a whole new environment, just yes. so you can stay focused and on your path. So right, that's what I did. I even quit this job. Even on the job, these people on the job are just smoking <laughs> on the job. Oh wow! Oh, God, you know, I'm trying to work, <laughs> and you guys still in the office up here. <laughs> Say, hey, I'm trying to go straight here. Hold on, help me out <laughs> a little bit. On the job? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was it was it was awful it, it, everywhere. I didn't know that because you know when you're involved in stuff you don't notice, but when you come out of that life, it, yeah. it, 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 I was on the bus, I was in the offices, places mm. you wouldn't be to have. <laughs> you <laughs> like you guys are everywhere. everywhere. I was a part of this. Hold on a second. Yeah, this is yeah. how I was living. <laughs> Every in in, in 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 government building, be my smell. That's how oh my God, what's going on here? Mm-mm-mm. So uh, so <laughs> I'm running away, running away. Where can I hide? And uh, and uh, so I finally got together and uh, completely cut off all those people and 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 places and everything, and uh, and was in a little bubble for a while. But then I, you know, I uh, I just started imagining uh, the kind of people I wanted to be around, even the family members. I created my own family values. I just, I started creating these things. I said, what would I want my mother to be? What would I want my father to be? I started imagining what the kind of characteristics I want my parents to have. And I started creating these family members in my mind. Mm-hmm. You start say, okay, that's the mother. Okay, she wants to be like that. Like, that. okay, that's the one. I started loving these imaginary family figures in my mind here, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so then I, uh, 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 coming out of twelve steps, I became a, a Muslim. I wanted, I, I needed something badly to keep me on track, and then that was right there. When I was in Chicago. It was a, it was a child. I remember seeing what's called the Black Muslims on the corner, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and and I just saw them, you know, and. My parents said, you know, they said, look, you know, don't talk to them. Don't talk wow. to them. And uh, so I guess as a child, I heard that message. And so when I was uh, I was a community activist um, uh, um, around that time, and, and I was um, in a particular area where in Phoenix, Arizona, the uh, Honorable Elijah Muhammad had a house, and after he had passed, he was still there. And so I, I was working for this, this uh, minister uh, mm-hmm. who was um, 
started just getting too many programs. We were just organizing block watch groups and trying to get people together to get better city services. But then this, I saw this big house, and so this, this pastor says, um, don't go to that house. Leave those people, those are Muslims. Come <laughs> Don't go there. Don't they walk around it. And so when he said that, <laughs> it could be what I heard my parents say when I was a little kid. Uh-huh. I said, I'm an adult now. I went right this, right to the house immediately. <laughs> right there. Wait, that's, right. that's for me. That is for me. Yeah, you know, and um, I think yeah. I, I don't know where I, I read it, but many, many years ago, I... I read that the highest, one of the highest success rates when it, it comes to keeping people in recovery on the path for the longest period of time. I don't know what it's about. I can't remember the full article there, but, um, you know, I was when it, your conversion to Muslim, do you think that contributed to you um, staying true so long? Well, absolutely. Or? There are rules. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's no wiggle room. And so even with the recovery process, the 12-step process by itself, was too sterile for me. When I got into it, I saw too many, too many ways of relapse, and, and I, so I wanted a strict program, so I would, I would keep me on a straight path. I don't want to wiggle I don't want to say, well, I could justify, you know, a little bottle, I could justify some cigarettes. I mm-hmm. said, no, 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 I want something strict. And so I actually, when I was going to 12 Steps, I actually changed it myself okay. to make it stricter. I made it stricter myself. Okay. And, uh, okay. and, uh, and so then, so then, um, so then, uh, coming to the Islam, but the rules there said, okay, now it fits because, you know, as, a, as an addict from before, I needed rules. I needed new <laughs> rules how to live and how to, new rules of engagement. Yeah, you can't let me do what I want to do because, hey, <laughs> I know, need somebody too. <laughs> yeah, I need some I need rules. Hey, you know what I was doing before wasn't working, and I cannot be in charge of that anymore. Mm-hmm. I need to have somebody say, you got to do it this way. Okay. I mean, and, and I believe in following prescriptions. Yes, right. Know? So if, if, if that's a prescription, I'll follow it to a T. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I did, and so I said, oh, and when I, when I went knocked in that house uh, in my early twenties, uh, uh, and then is this, uh, this this pioneer, you know, opened the door, and he he was so nice, and you know, and I looked at him, and that was uh, you know, I was in the early twenties, and he was, I don't know, this guy was by probably in his, his seventies then, but I mean, what I saw in him was a father figure. He was yes. so compassionate because I didn't have that, and I said, oh my god, it was it was so wonderful. He sat down, nice calm voice, answered my questions. And and his wife brought up, brought up this squash pie. I said squash pie. Never heard it before. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! This pie melted down your throat. You didn't have to chew mm-hmm. it. It was so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, said, I just felt I felt I felt at home. I said, now this is how I wanted to feel all my life. Gotcha. I said, gotcha. my God, my father and mother figure right here. It just felt so wonderful. Nice so, peaceful squash pie. There you go. Oh my God! So that prompted me right there. So then I said. Now, let me do my own study here now. Let me just start doing studying. So I did a little study, and I went to, you know, the what they call the temple at the time, and I was impressed there. I said, oh, my God, because, you know, coming from the street life and, you know, life as a musician, I'm, you know, there are a lot of women who are, you know, were, they were, uh, you know, they were... Uh, uh, unsa- unsavory characters, let's put oh, it like okay, that. Okay, say it like that. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and hold on a second. We're going to hold on real quick. I'm looking at the time. So we're going to hold that thought. We're going to come back and talk some more about these unsavory characters here. Right after commercial. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today I'm hanging out with the author of the book, Reconnected, How to Be a Mentor to Your Child Self, Mr. Nazim Rashid. And uh, I had to cut him off there for uh, before the break, and I apologize for that. But we were talking about the conversion to um, uh, being a Muslim, and uh, you, we were mentioning some, some of the ladies that you used to hang out prior <laughs> to conversion, these unsavory uh, creatures. So we're going to go ahead and okay. go with that. Okay, well... <laughs> I will call him that fan. Okay, so I'm used to <laughs> seeing these kind of uh, people around me all the time in the clubs and so forth. So when I went into the temple, it was peace. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I said, "Oh my God!" I saw the women over here. They were they were dressed and they weren't you know, trying to show everything God gave them. And I said, "Okay, they're and they're quiet and and men were quiet." And I said, "This is different for me." Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I said, I'll sit down, and then I said, then I expected the uh, the preacher come out with a flowing robe and incense and yelling and screaming, and no, this this brother came out there in a nice regular suit and started talking normally, and there was no choir, no one to pump you up, and 
I said, oh, oh, this is very different for me. Oh, this is very different. It was just the word. I said, oh, and after that, you go home. I said, that's pretty simple. And so I said, wow, that's that's very different. And uh, growing up in a Baptist church in Chicago, I was used to another kind of performance. Oh, a whole bunch of noise and hooping and hollering and performance and entertainment. Yes, the Baptist church is a sight to see. Slide across stage. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, so anyway, and, uh, so I was very, very impressed. I said, oh, well, okay. And anyway, so that impressed me. So after I did more studying, I, uh, I actually, you know, came in formally and, and, uh, and it became my new life. But one thing about the, see, the last step of the program, a 12 step program, is that you have to be an example. You have to show others the way. You have to be, you have to go out there and be a light for others who were kind of lost in darkness. And, and I, Held on to that part there, and because of that right there, I uh, I, I was introduced to the, the uh, counseling field, and not not by conscious choice, but God took me there. This job description when I was in college was for a job development coordinator, and I spent you know a little bit of time at the state employment agency, so I had a you know, speck of experience in helping people get career, get jobs. Just a you know really no experience at all, but I'd like try to get the job anyway. So I go into this place, and and uh, to me, the people were looking kind of strange. It was a large facility. Mm-hmm. I said, "Uh oh, I don't think I'm in an in employment office here." <laughs> <laughs> and so, when I got to the office, I found it was a recreation center for the mentally ill. Mm-hmm. And so, I I first told the guy, you know, I'm probably in the wrong place. I, I have no experience here whatsoever, you know. And uh, I thought it was more of a job recruitment kind of place. And yeah, I'm sorry, you know. And so he asked where I worked before. So I said, well, I spent some time in a public library in San Francisco. And when I told him the library I was in, he says, you know what? If you work there, you're hired here. I said, what? <laughs> That's all it takes, right? <laughs> because I mean, the, the library, I was in a mission district in a library. Anyway, that, that particular okay. library had every element you could think of, of illness. You could think of any social, spiritual illness or whatever, economic, you know, diversity. It was there because mm-hmm. you had... Castro District, one prayer with a, you had financial district, you had the homeless, you had the crack dealers, you had mm-hmm. homeless right there, so you had every element, high and low, that was representing that library. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess because of that exposure, <laughs> that they hired me, and so I said, well, what do you want me to do here? Uh-huh. They said, all we want you to do is just stimulate conversation, just start discussion groups. That's all we want you to do. Oh. I can do that. I can do that. And plus, you know, one thing that we do as, as Islamic services, we, we're encouraged to have a, a pen and a, a notepad with you and take notes like you're in a lecture. Okay. So I just pulled out my little pad, and, and I had down there family. Okay. I wrote family on the boards. We talked about what a family is, you know. Mm-hmm. And that started my career. And, uh, and, and what happened, I became good at that. People were and started to talk about what it meant for them, and, and I started doing doing research on my own and started studying psychology on my own and got pretty good and and uh, and helped a lot of people there. So, okay, I'll do this now. <laughs> <laughs> so you ended up going back to school for that or no? Yeah, and actually, when I was, it, was, it wasn't, um, there were classes I took, yes, and I had certifications, even though I didn't, wasn't in a university doing it because the, the place okay. sent me to, to, to workshops and seminars to get certain certifications. And, uh, and so I uh, I did it that way, and uh, I became a case manager. I, I worked in various group homes and and the homeless shelters, and um, then became train coordinator in San Francisco and started climbing up there. Then I became a director of my own youth and adult, pro- adult programs, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and I certified in mediation and conflict resolution. And 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 then, but see, at that point, when being a coordinator, I had to speak in front of you know uh, you know several people. And up until that point, I was just speaking one-on-one or to maybe a small group here and there. And therefore, I was at the stage fright, so to speak. I, you know, I didn't. I, I I can't speak in front of anybody. I can't do that. Not and Nazim. So, no, never I that. Can't, I can't do it. But what happened is at this facility, they how they had homeless and drug addicts in there. You know, they were coming mm-hmm. in there trying to get services. So I said, Nazim, will you stop it? Your audience, <laughs> half of them are locked out anyway. <laughs> They're not going to notice what I'm saying. They don't even know if you're being here. So use it as an opportunity to get your, <laughs> your speaking skills in order. 
And I don't know. They just sitting in a chair getting the juice and cookies, right? Yeah, nodding <laughs> off, you know. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it's a good opportunity for you to learn your speaking skills and get in order. Really learn this craft. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to do some people now that were high bang. They say, if it hadn't have been for me, Nazim wouldn't be the public speaker that he is today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, as so I started, I set up cameras and I recorded myself. I, I started learning, uh, you know, trial and error, you know, to improve certain things and all that. <laughs> and, and that's how I started public speaking because before that, I was scared to death. And, uh, but I said, I can do this. And sure enough, I did it. And uh, and it was, it was really for me because after I would talk, and of course, half the people there didn't know I was even there. So I couldn't ask them for feedback, but, <laughs> but I have my, my tapes, and so I, I gave myself feedback and improved myself, and I started you know, taking more classes and all that, you know. <laughs> oh, wow, that is comical. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, and those people, they, I'm telling those people, they were, they were asking real strange, it was, it was a uh, self-help center at this uh, uh, homeless facility, and, uh-huh. uh, and people in there had the strangest problems, I mean, they had sexual confusions going on. They had addictions I'd never heard of before. They had um, all kinds of issues going on. And, and I said, oh, my God, what on earth? It's a crazy thing. And people who work there, a lot of volunteers who work there, a lot of them are homeless. And the mm-hmm. whole model is a model of the of the homeless helping the homeless kind of thing. Yeah, I kind of Okay, thing. okay. And, and so it's my job to, to teach them skills and, and improve their quality of their, <laughs> of their work there so they can – have quality service, and I said, I'm, "How can I? How can I do that?" Mm-hmm. And uh, I just did anyway, and and uh, I had let some people go entirely. And you know, even when you see people smoking crack in the bathroom, you know, uh, yeah. they can't be there anymore. So yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, Move on to the go. next place, right? And, yeah. You know, they said, "Why? It's only one time." <laughs> only one time. What are you talking about? So and so did it three times. What are you talking about? I only got it one time. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the receptionist? You know. She came out, I got so many stories about the place. She came, she, she just shot up in the bathroom and oh had a nerve goodness. to have a hypodermic needle on her blouse as a pendant. Oh, wow. She told me extreme. Wow. So you I'm, saw it all. Now she's sitting behind a desk with this needle stuck to her blouse. It was decoration. <laughs> it was decoration. What are you talking? It's my fashion statement. I'm saying, what, what are you doing? Hey, Nazine, mm. I'm fine. Hey, everything's fine right now. I, I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. You got to get out of here. <laughs> You're two shades to the wind. I'm pretty sure everything is fine now. Yes, yes. You know, and and people really don't, you know, because I've done a lot of work in you know these types of centers and stuff like that, and the whole plethora of stories that you walk away from is oh my. It, it is. It is comical, but it is it is sadly comical, and, yeah. and and at the base of it is there are so many people hurting, but you know you just just to get through your day, you just have to you have to laugh at some of it because it is so it's so much dark pain, you know, in in those those places. But it was um, so much. Matter of fact, me and the director were only two that were, I guess, uh, straight so to speak, and so we would share stories, you know. Mm-hmm. And he had me rolling a few times, you know. I said, oh, my God, don't tell me more. I can't stand it. My face is hurt. I can't stand it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, some strange things going on down there. I said, yes, my indeed. God. And I yes, said, indeed. I yes, said, wow. And, and, uh, but, you know, that we were there to help people, and we did. And a lot of, a lot of them didn't want to help. They just wanted to flop house, wanted to place mm-hmm. the nod, nod for a while, was, you know. And uh, it was it was kind of a sad sad place. I said I'm glad I had the experience because now I see the the deaths people can go and are going all yeah. the time. Yes, yes. Now it's, let me ask you bad. this before we go to commercial break. So you're, sure. you've you've made this change and you're helping people now, but you've got mom and brother back in Chicago, wherever they're at now. Um, how are how are they feeling about your transformation? You know they didn't like it at all. <laughs> wow. They didn't like it at all because you see they like to have. You know, they don't want to have the old, uh, you know, old, old, you know, scapegoat they they they, they enjoyed teasing and playing with, mm. and one that had no voice and one that was just uh, stood in the corner and didn't do anything. They like that person. Oh wow! You see, wow, are so, you are you uh, in a better place with your brother today or no? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. My brother has right now. He's a uh, 
he has some mental problems himself and got uh, layers of, of physical issues going on. He's in a bad way, and and uh, 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 and he, you know, he won't, you know, he won't talk about those things at all. I mean, and in the last time I tried to bring something up, he was just saying that uh, that uh, I didn't know what I was talking about, and uh, you know, he's totally right. I'm totally wrong, and so I said like, I'll just stop that conversation with you. Yeah, yeah. And my okay. mother, she's still in life of denial too. She won't fess up to anything whatsoever, and has no idea how I think and how dare I think. That way, and 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 I found that as I've, as I've life coached people and taught people about similar situations, I tell them that you know when you make a change, that you're going to have enemies within your family. They're they're not going to like right. the change you're making. That's right. You know, That's some people want you to position. stay want you to stay where where you were for their own comfort zone. Right. And you know that's that's a, a personal strength that a person has to have to say I'm going to rise above this all and I'm going to better myself regardless of where you want me to be. We're going to uh, go ahead and take our last commercial break of the day. But when I come back, I want to talk uh, some more about uh, or start talking about your book. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. I have been having a wonderful time today talking to Mr. Nazim Rashid. He's the author of the book, Reconnected, How to Be a Mentor to Your Child Self. And I want to make sure in this last little section here we do uh, talk some about your book. Um, so, like I said, it's called Reconnected, How to Be a Mentor to Your Child Self. What, what exactly is your child self, and, and why do we need to mentor it? Well, the child self is really your younger self, your younger self for sure. If, if, when you see those little pictures of that little cute little girl, cute little boy, when he's four, five, three, or two, whatever, that's your child self, and your child self is still alive within you. And it's not, a lot of people say, well, that's your inner child. No, no, your child self has the inner child. Your inner child is really a more of, a, of an abstract or spiritual concept and uh, of, of purity and that's innocence and all that, and that's different. Child self with that flesh and blood person used to be. So what happens is that when you know, want to talk about mentoring the self you, you once were, it's using your creative imagination, your visualization to go back in time and just imagine, just imagine, you know, you at your age now talking to you when you're four, Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, and just imagine that kind of conversation, and how that would be. And so, the mentors, like mentors do, they they guide and help the child out, and uh, they become the example. And they they're also a counselor. They they listen to the child's needs and so forth, and and intervene when they can. And so, as a mentor to the self you once were, you're going to do that. You'll go back in time and be the mentor. Now, you're also going to straighten out the negative events that happen in the child's life. By being, I call it the senior advisor for the for the for the uh, for the uh, family. Mm-hmm. Your mother was 24 when you when you're four, okay. And so now you might be, you know, 49, okay. Now imagine a 49 year old talking to your mother when she was 24 as being the advisor. She looks up mm-hmm. to you, our next door neighbor, cross street neighbor. But you've been there for a while. You have some constant skills. This family moves in. They they see as being a, a advisor and like a guide child to, to to their little child, so they accept that and they will do what you say. So say for instance, if your little child self says that, uh, well, you know, hey, you know, uh, Mr. Washington, I or Mr. Rashid, I I brought an A home on my math assignment, and my mother didn't say anything whatsoever about that. She didn't even recognize my A, mm-hmm. and uh, and I felt bad. I, I started crying, and she didn't even recognize that even, mm-hmm. and uh, and so forth, and. So now the mentor says, well, wait a minute, let me see the A. Mm-hmm. Boy, you did a great job. Let me give you a big hug. You deserve okay. that. Okay. I, see, I see greatness and goodness in you. Matter of fact, tell you what, I'm going to go over there and talk to your mother about that because no one neglects my godson like uh-huh. that. Okay. You see, okay. You imagine scenes where you're talking to your mother and you let her know, hey, this child brought A. What's, what's, what's up with that, you know? And then you you know, kind of you kind of put put the, put the script out there. The mother says, "Well, I was working around here. I didn't. I just didn't notice. I just I had something else to do." Well, mm-hmm. my when, when my godson brings her home a, I want you to stop what you're doing and pay attention to him. Mm-hmm. He deserves mm-hmm. it. So these are all sort of like uh, 
behind the scene, in your mind stories that you're playing out to kind of resolve some issues that we might have had um, at an earlier age? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay. okay. It works. Once you would say, for instance, in real life, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the mother, you know, didn't really acknowledge the uh, competence of the child, okay? And it, I'm sure it happened more than once. Now the child's older now, and then, then, uh, then uh, he's, he's lacking approval, and then he sees girlfriends out just to get approval, mm-hmm. see, which, which formulates dysfunctional relationships. True. And so okay. what happens that you take one item right there that no longer is a, a need, now a need in an adult person, so they don't need to seek out relationships in order to get approval. Okay. Okay. Now you also talk about, and it's kind of what you've been saying. You talk about in your book validation being our number one need. Why? Why is it that we need to be valid? Why is that so important to us that we need to be validated? Oh my God, that's the only thing that keeps people alive. You know, <laughs> the sun validates the plants. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know, see, children's needs. You know, their feelings need to be important. They need to be important. They need to feel they matter. Mm-hmm. That uh, they have a reason to be here. And when, a, when an adult validates that child, they say, oh, I've been fed now. Validation feeds the children, feeds the child, for sure. You know, mm-hmm. now, validation, now, a lot of people think, think they confuse that with this uh, service compliment. There's a big difference. You can compliment a child for what they've done. Say, hey, I, I love the way that uh, you made that, uh, that uh, sweater on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, that's fine. But then validation speaks to them as a person. You might say, you know what, I see greatness in you. God put that gift in you to make that sweater. I see it coming all out, and that is manifesting in that sweater now. Okay? Awesome. That's awesome. validation. Okay. Now, um, I'm not sure if you're a parent yourself or your uncle or whatever. How do you see your, your parenting or your nurturing of younger people to be different than what your parents did? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I, I, in my, uh, in my, um, my, see here. I've been there a few times here. I've, I've been, <laughs> I've, I've been times. in my trials there too. Uh, uh, I would say on my, on my second experience, <laughs> uh, and I was there because of the child. The child was six years old, and um, and I was his father for for four years. And so that was down. That was the time to put into practice everything I learned. Okay. I did. I did all that. You know, I I, I made up stories, bedtime stories for him. I I volunteered in the school. Picked him up all the time. We went to get ice cream. We were in the park. We did all these things. Overnight. Now, he was gifted as an orator. Now, it's, it's really something how it works out, how God plans all this. Mm-hmm. Now, he won uh, poetry contests all the time. Mm. He had a gift of speaking at, at six years old. Wow. And so we, we gave him, gave him uh, you know, all kind of, all kind of uh, 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 rhymes and stories to tell. And he loved it. He won contests every single year. And so I said, oh, my God, so I've nurtured that one. I nurtured it. <laughs> so that's all me right there. I nurtured I, that. I said, hey, we rehearsed, rehearsed. I, I haven't put a drama into it. Move your arms that way. Do that, you know, and act it out, you know. And and, uh, and uh, I was the first one to clap and applaud at all his performances and pick them up, reward him constantly. And uh, we had a great time, great time all the time. And uh, and and, uh, and uh, we were so tight. I said, so tight, his mother got jealous. But he was... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but but we had a great time. We did it, and he was always top notch in his school. Matter of fact, he was he was above the school, and he got in trouble one time because he was bored because he already knew the assignment and had all the answers, and uh, he wasn't stimulated enough. Mm-hmm. And so I had to get on behind that. So I said, "Well, look, man, you know you can't act out." He said, "What you do when you're done? Find somebody to help. Help them out. Yes, you know, help them out. I know you're done. You're ahead of everybody. We know that now." Help the next person out with their assignment, you know, and bring uh, them up to where you are. Awesome, awesome. I, I you didn't know. know. I said, yes, do that. And so we did it. So, hey, he was, and, and right now, I, uh, uh, he went to adolescence, no drugs, nobody being pregnant. He went to school, had a girlfriend. He didn't marry her until he was out of school and got a job first, then he married her. I said, Wow. I like it. I like it because so many times you hear these these cycles being repeated generation after generation. So it, it's nice when you you kind of say, "Wait a minute, this is not going to happen the way I I had to go through it." Uh uh. And sure enough, I asked him. I said, "You know, I said, do you know where you got all this uh this uh this uh, right where living from?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Say, so when you write your book, I want to make sure you put in there, thanks to Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because sure enough, he went through that. He, after, he, he did everything, everything correctly, mm. you know? I said, awesome. wow, look at this kid here. I said, well, okay. You know, and uh, I, when he was in school, he said, uh, he got a girlfriend, he said, he said hey, you know what? I'm not, I'm not planning to get married. Look, I'm going to get, I'm going to make sure get my degree first. I'm going to get the job. Then I'm going to marry her. I'm going to do it that way. I said, I said, well, I said, if you feel that's a proper way to do it, I'm all for it. I'm not going to say, yes, that's why I want you to do it. No. If you feel that's a proper way to do things, I'm backing you up. There you, go. you got my support. You got my support. Now, I want to make sure before we go, I let the yeah. audience know you also, you also have your own radio show. So give us the name of that and how do people catch that? All right. Then. It's called The Reconnected Show, appropriately called. And mm-hmm. uh, it's on, you can access it two ways, kind of like your show there. It's online. Either they can go to, uh, after the three W's, we have uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash reconnected. <laughs> and we okay. hear that wonderful radio voice that you have. There and, <laughs> I know I switch up. And, <laughs> and, or they can call the um, number 347-994-2524. And that way they can hear it either online or they can call it a lot of times. People will just call up and just put their phone down, have it on mute and speakerphone. They can they can do other things while they listen to the show, and it's right there. So, and all the shows are archived. So, if they go into the records there in the vault, they can actually scroll through any topic that they have heart's desire and hear it. And they can download it free. They can have all the free therapy, burn CDs, put into iPod, share with friends, give them as gifts to other people. And have a great life just from all the free information that's stored there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. We are at the end of our hour, and no. I have had uh, such a wonderful time. I am so tickled. I will be <laughs> grinning for the rest of the day. My guest today has been Mr. Nazim Rashid. Please, please visit his website, cloudsofabundance.com. Thank you, thank you, sir, for hanging out with me today. I had a good time. You're more than welcome. I appreciate it for sure. My I'm smiling more now today. <laughs> that Fantastic. is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week. <laughs>